Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jesse HS of Heart God Media. This is the Heart God Media podcast, and today is the very first episode, the very first full episode of the Heart God Media podcast. And what better way to start it than having George A. Romero be our topic of conversation? A man that has, that did it all, and he recently passed away back in July, and I felt. I felt compelled to make the first episode about him, just George. Everything that the guy did and stood for in his career, I think, is admirable. And, I mean, we're going to dive right into it right now. I, I, Not a Living Dead. It's a landmark film in so many respects. Uh, mainly, I mean, it really did start like a modern... It started the modern zombie. There's no debating that. The look, the style, the walk, you know, the shamble, whatever you want to call it, um, of what, when you think zombie, when someone says zombie, that's what you think immediately is, to me, a George Romero zombie, whether it be Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, any of his later dead films as well. I know sometimes those don't get as much love as the original trilogy um but i'll tell you what right now i think i think land is a very solid film a very fun film it almost reads as like an action film and it does yeah i i think the cast is great i mean you had all stars you had dennis hopper you had john leguizamo you i mean ozzy argeno isn't a huge name in america but obviously for Anybody that is familiar with her father, Dario Argento, uh, you know, loves that she was in it. And obviously, George and Dario Argento were um, tight. And uh, I I met George on a few occasions at the uh, the horror conventions that they have all over the main, a lot of them in the Northeast. And that's where, you know, I'm I'm located. And I've traveled to a few. in this region and a little bit out towards the you know midwest area and you know i met george uh, twice twice and uh but even just walking by his table and seeing how engaging he was with fans and i'll say this right now if you've never been to a horror convention you should go just because even if you're not even huge into horror and you just like like some of the you know the more well-known horror films and things like that and you're not like you don't spend too much money on movies like myself and friends that I have we just waste way too much money on movies and artwork and stupid shit uh, that relates to it uh, I mean it's, it's probably a good idea that you don't because I just I could sell everything I wouldn't make my money back but I'll never sell any of this shit because it's fucking, it's just, it's a nostalgic factor. Anyway, uh, even just walking by his table and seeing how engaging he was with fans and his spread, he always had, some of these people, listen, some of these people have been in three movies and they're charging 30 bucks and they got two 8x10s and that's okay. Okay, you've been in a couple movies, so you don't got a lot of stuff. But then there's people that have directed, they have produced, they have acted, uh, what have you. They And they have nothing. They've done everything, and they have nothing to get signed at their table. And then they wonder why three people show up to, to get a signature from them or meet them or talk to them. It's, you don't, you're not, I mean, George Romero, though, I'm, I'm, going on a rant but george romero had two full-size six-foot tables covered with shit he had everything from every movie from his most obscure to dawn of the dead he had everything creep show bruiser uh the all glossy all looked all looked nice uh 11 by 17 posters full-size posters t-shirts he had it all and i think he knew what you know once he started doing these conventions he knew what the fans wanted and you know he delivered as he did with his movies you know uh and he was just he was very engaging the first time i met him i got a group photo with him and uh two of my friends the uh tyler brothers who maybe possibly one of them may be calling in today 
to kind of put his two cents in on George Romero because all of us are, I, I mean, group text. I wish I, I wish I could post the group text. It would probably offend a lot of people. But the group text that we have just talking about the genre and the art makers of the genre um and george a lot comes up in all these conversations constantly before his death as well you know uh you know like i said i said in the uh, teaser podcast you know death brings a new appreciation for a lot of things for all art you know it's uh van gogh he died poor but you know he's the is that van gogh was it van gogh i think it was van gogh that died poor but you know his fucking art is like priceless now um but yeah, I mean, George Romero, very humble guy too. Just a, you know, he was a Pittsburgh boy. He wasn't from Hollywood. He never conformed to the Hollywood ways or anything like that. And you know, he shot a lot of his films in Pennsylvania and then later in Canada when he moved to Canada. Um and I feel like to a degree he got the shaft in some aspects of his career. Just, you know, he fought so hard to get, every time he did a movie, he fought so hard to get it made. And, you know, a lot of films of his I don't think were totally appreciated, especially outside of the dead universe. When you talk, you know, uh, Martin. Amazing film. Awesome. Such a unique take on a on a vampire film and it's it's so good it's got john amplas in it uh i implore everyone to check that out if they haven't as well as night riders night riders is such a like kooky movie but it's so much fun and it's so well done and oh i just can't like say enough about it i mean i'm not gonna break down every single film because this is be a 12-hour podcast but you know, and I, I said uh, previously, too, the Creepshow. Creepshow is such a masterpiece. It is so fun, whimsical. The You know, and, and that's, a, a, that's kind of, you know, in thanks to Stephen King and George Romero, like, knowing and appreciating those Vault of Horror, Vault of Terror, Tales from the Crypt, EC Comics, like... And just bringing it to life on the big screen. And it was just so masterfully done. It just just came out so well. And it holds up. It beats the living hell out of so many horror movies. When you put it next to it. Especially, you know. And that was made in 82. And you got. You had so many horror films in the 80s. And so so many of them are, are shitty. But they're shitty, they're shitty fun. When I say shitty, I mean low budget and you know bad acting and though i obviously you love those like those are so much fun to watch because they're so bad um so when i say shitty i mean it's shitty in an endearing way uh films that you know shoestring budget not great acting at all but they're fun and and i feel like with those films that kind of encapsulates you know, the underlying theme of all horror is, you know, it doesn't take itself too serious. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not pretentious for the most part. You know, these films, they're, and there, there's a reason there's horror conventions. There's a reason there's horror conventions. Um, it's because nostalgia is such a comforting factor for so many people. And that is why, they have new companies coming out every day that repress all this, all these movies, and get all the new special features. And it's it's so much fun to keep alive because you know I remember being a kid and you know it was VHS rentals at Sight and Sound Video, and you know then Video King and these VHS rental places, and you just go and you discover and you'd get lost and. And it's it's so much horror, I think, I don't know. It almost, to me, whenever I think horror, people don't want to let their kids watch horror movies. One of the first films I ever saw was Night of the Living Dead. You know, that was 
and, and you know, it scared the hell out of me. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anybody who saw that movie, especially at a young age. And I know kids see it now, and they're like, oh, you know, we've seen The Walking Dead zombies and Twenty Eight Days Later and things like that, and that these aren't scary zombies. But when you've never really been exposed to any kind of zombie before, and there wasn't a zombie craze, and then all of a sudden. You turn on the TV at 10 o'clock at night and you're five, six years old and there are dead people that are trying to eat your flesh. That is fucking scary. <laughs> scary. And I remember how and every time I but, you know, you'd get scared to death, but you loved it because you knew you were safe. You knew it was just a movie. But if you grew up you know, kind of in a rural area where you look across the road and there's nothing but, you know, the woods, uh, you know, I think it played a little bit more than on the kid that lived, you know, in a, a bigger city. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a little more believable that zombies might walk out of the woods across the street from my parents' house. You know, I mean, if you're in a house in the city and there's uh or an apartment in the city and there's uh street lights everywhere i mean it's a little you feel a little safer a little more safer than you know someone like myself would feel growing up in a rural area but and that's another thing i think that's draws me so close to someone like george romero you know he did you know he grew up in he was born in cuba if i remember correctly and you know he moved to pennsylvania uh, and, you know, Pittsburgh, Evan City, Evan City, you know, outside is outside of Pittsburgh and was where the cemetery was in Night of the Living Dead. You know, he always, and those films, especially like Night of the Living Dead, obviously it was like in a farmhouse. So I kind of related on that level too, just as a setting aspect. Um, and then even in Dawn of the Dead, you know, when there, you see all the hunters like gathering around drinking some steel shitty beer and uh people say it all the time they're like in some rural parts of new york and pennsylvania you would think you were in the south um just because how rural and you know hunting is such a huge culture in like the rural areas and you know of all the northeast um but i think it related on that aspect too because it just felt like this guy might come from where I come from, you know, when I was able, old enough to, to kind of start understanding settings and movies and things like that, um, as I got a little older, um, but yeah, Night of the Living Dead, I remember seeing that, and I remember renting Dawn of the Dead, and seeing the name Romero, and saying, hey, this guy, he did that Night of the Living Dead film, and that's where I knew I was different from all the friends I had at the time when I was, you know, eight to eight to nine, ten years old. And I was just like, wait, I'm different from the rest of my friends. Like, they don't know names on movies and they don't, like, think, like, oh, this is a novel by Stephen King. Stephen, yeah, I saw Cujo and Stephen King's name's on Cujo because he wrote that and it's a book. And that's why, and I love Pet Cemetery, and he did that too. And then, oh, I saw Christine, and that has his name on it too. He wrote all these great books. And then going to the public library and running out those books um, to read them. You know, I, I, kid, I knew right then at a young, young age that, you know, I loved horror movies. I loved everything about them. And I was seeking them out on even a literary sense when I found out, like, okay, these movies were books first. I got to read the books. And the books, obviously... Uh, all the King adaptations were always so much more, you know, they're better than the movies because they explain more and they had different aspects. But I mean, all, all the a lot of the Stephen King adaptations, I, there's very few that I dislike. Um, and I did see it last night and I, I'll talk about it later on a different podcast, but it's pretty fucking awesome. And I had a lot of fucking fun, amazing cast, some cool ass songs in it as well. Um, it was just really fucking good and it was so much fun and two hours and 15 minutes went by very comfortably and if something doesn't go by comfortably for two hours and 15 minutes especially a horror movie it's probably gonna you know it's not gonna get many rewatches but it also broke a box office record on thursday 
for beat Deadpool out for like Thursday, you know, the pre-showing or whatever. Anyway, you know, I, I derailed from George. Let's get back to George. Um, but yeah, I remember renting Dawn of the Dead, and I remember watching it. I was like, this is fucking amazing. It's fucking zombies in a mall. I was like, oh my god, this is so far up my alley. It's not even funny. Uh, and then you know, right immediately after that, I found Day of the Dead, and Day of the Dead still to this day is probably my favorite Romero film. I mean, Night of the Living Dead just has a special place because it's the first George Romero film I ever saw, and it started everything. So it just has like its own special select place in my heart. But Day of the Dead is oh mother, oh it's so good, it's so good. The effects are so good. The cast is so good. The villain, Rhodes, Joe Pilato, is so fucking good. I don't think there's been a better villain in a horror movie. If you can name one, tell me. Because Joe Pilato as Captain Rhodes is the fucking best villain in a horror movie of fucking all time. Maybe not the most heinous. But he's just so fucking easily hateable and I fucking love it. And he might, he was, and that's, I think that's a testament to George. Because I know, you know, directors don't always have, you know, full control over who's cast. Obviously, have a huge say. But, you know, if the studio wants a certain somebody, I mean, they're going to get whoever they want. And I know sometimes directors lose those choices. But that's a testament to George, I think, is seeing, like, getting all these great actors, you know, and sticking with some of them for throughout several films. And, you know, Savini. You know, hit him and, and you know, Savini directed the the Night of the Living Dead remake, 1990. Best, my opinion, best remake of any film ever. I think it's fucking, it brought horror to a new level. And I remember watching that one simultaneously. You know, I, I, I almost think that I might even saw maybe even the remake first. I can't, I can't remember. But I remember how fucking scary it was. And it just made zombies scary again after they kind of... They kind of lost their luster going out, going out of the... Getting out of the 80s and going into the early 90s. But that film is another one. And, you know, if, if you watch enough special features on stuff, you'll know. But um, Tom Savini wanted to work on the original Night of the Living Dead. George Romero came to... I think the school that Savini was at and Savini wanted to, I, my facts could be a little skewed here, but this is like the gist of it. Like George Romero spoke somewhere. I'm not sure if it was at a school or whatever. And Savini heard it and he wanted to work on the film, but Savini was going to Vietnam because this was like, I believe 68 or maybe 60, late 67. I don't know. Um, and Savini ended up going to Vietnam. So he couldn't work on night of living dead. So, you know, obviously George and Savini had a relationship, you know, throughout the rest of his films, throughout the um, late 70s and early 80s. Obviously, he starred and worked on Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. But, um, man, uh, and then he uh, he wanted Savini, George Romero wanted Savini to direct Night of the Living Dead 90. And I know a lot of people don't like you know, that film, for whatever reasons, it has its haters, but it does have its uh, people who love it as well. I am huge f flag raiser and, you know, cross bearer for that film. Uh, it's just so well done. And it's the story. It's the story told a different way. The original story is amazing. And it's told a certain way through George's eyes. And then... The story is retold through Tom Savini's, and I think it's great. And I know Savini doesn't really like it, um, but I fucking love it. And it did face, like, you know, it did get, like, fucking just hosed by the MPAA. Um, but, yeah, I love that one. And I, and what a, how fucking cool is that? Whether Savini thinks the, the film was great or not. Uh, how cool is that, George Romero? Well, you couldn't work on the original, and they're remaking the first one so we can, you know, make some money because we didn't make money on the first one because of licensing uh, issues or what have you. So I want you to direct the... What a fucking awesome guy. Like, things like that. You just hear about, and you're like, that's the kind of guy he was, and it, and it you know, 
it showed. I think through his work, it showed what a heart he had because he always had something to say in every one of his films. You know, you know. Well, let's go through this. George Romero, Night of Living Dead. The original guy that was going to play Ben dropped out for whatever reason, couldn't do it, whatever. And then people thought he was like being bold and edgy by like putting, you know, a, a black man as like the main character in this film. And George Romero went on to say, listen, I didn't choose him because he was black. I chose him because he was the best decision. He was the best choice for the role. And if that doesn't like, and in 1968 saying that, you know, I, I know he got heat and he didn't care. Because, you know, he didn't judge, obviously. And he was like, listen, he's the best for the role. I don't care what color his skin is. And he, you know, uh, Dwayne Jones hit it out of the park. He was, oh, my God. Was such a, And you can see a lot of that Tony Todd did in the remake. You, you could see where he took his influence from Dwayne Jones as well. Um you know, and if I remember correctly, and it's on um, uh, some of the special features of the 40th anniversary, or not 40th, 30th, 30th? No, 40th anniversary of uh, the Night of the Living Dead DVD, um, that they said that they were driving the film, I believe, to New York City after it was finished, and that's when they heard that Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I think that m probably made them feel kind of like they had, now this movie has to be shown. This movie has to have some success because this point needs to, it's so it's such a, a poignant film for the time. And if there's a better movie that describes the 60s without really even touching on any social issues outright, like, you know, outright discussing them, it's, it's so, so, so much Night of the Living Dead, and, and then you have, uh, Dawn, Dawn of the Dead, you know, his take on consumerism in America, you know, it was the beginning of the mall craze, you know, and then it was such a precursor, because in the 80s, in the 80s, malls became the mecca of America. That was a symbol of America, was the mall. And people's, like, the buying craze in the 80s, the, you know, these are monuments of consumerism. Come here and spend all your money. And it was, a, you know, it's as American, it became as American as apple pie. And I think he kind of, and what a cool take, you know. They, why are they at the mall? Well, what they remember, you know, coming to the mall, like, and it's, it was so relevant for so many years when you really dug down deep and whether he was trying to say it or not, he did, whether he was trying to say like, Hey, we're focusing too much on consuming things, buying, buying, buying is everything we're about. We don't stand for anything. We stand for consumerism and then that's it. And whether he meant to or not, it made an impact. It it made people think, even if it was subconsciously. He's making a almost thirty year old man start a podcast and have him be the focal point of it, and have me discussing things that whether he wanted to talk about, whether he intended for it to be a topic of conversation. Almost forty years later, it, it's it's causing it. It's it's happening right now. And it, there can't be any, there cannot be any more of a, you know, badge of honor to hold. He should, you know, I hope he died very proud because he did, he said and did a lot in his lifetime. And it's more than a lot of people do, you know, and, you know, moving on to Day of the Dead or yeah, Day of the Dead, you, you know, kind of uh, military like, it made you fear the military a little bit. Maybe that was a slight, you know, just because they have an authority, 
like things like that. And then you talk about like, uh, you know, the conspiracy theory with the military being involved in the assassination of JFK. Like I'm starting to think, especially because obviously Romero is a, you know, he was born in the whenever 30, late thirties, early forties, 43, maybe I think, uh, I mean, he was a grown man in the 60s, and the 60s were a very impressionable time. Um, It makes you think, like, was that kind of a take on, like, you know, that era, too? Like, having the military kind of... The military's in charge now, you know? Zombies have broken out. There's... You have a scientist, and you have a couple military... And some military personnel stuck in this underground, like, uh, you know, bunker. And... I don't, and it just, it, it was an authority movie. Like, who's in charge when the world really goes to shit? When everything falls apart, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth type thing. Like, okay, well, who's in charge now? Now that the dead are walking the earth, they are trying to eat you. Who's in charge now? You know, and the people who have the guns... And who have been either trained to kill or, or whatever have, they have the power, you know, and that was, I don't, it's hard to say if there was an underlying social issue that he was thinking about while making that one, but it's definitely such a fun film. It is, oh, and the effects in it are just so much fun to watch. They're still, the movie was made in 1985. It was made three years before I was born. It's now 2017, and I'm talking about it right now because it's that cool. It looks that cool. The story is that cool. And it's just, I mean, there's not a lot of films that were made ever that hold the kind of, that hold that nostalgic factor of wanting to revisit as much as horror films and in particular you know as we're talking George Romero's films they're just so easy to revisit because they tell a story and the story never gets old they're modern day fairy tales you know how many times have people or modern day like you know they're the modern day American stories you know uh to me to fans of horror to fans of film you know you know creep something like creep show creep show to me is might as well be the Christmas Carol or Chris, a Christmas Carol. People watch a Christmas Carol. I mean, I watch a Christmas Carol around uh, several different versions of it. I watch around Christmas time. You know what I watch at any point, whether it's August, because August kind of reminds me of a time where I'd throw on Creep Show or Creep Show would be on late at night and school would be starting in like a week, week and a half. And I was like, you know, it's my escape. Well, fuck, school's going to start. Well, fucking yeah, creep show's on. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Fuck yes. You know, and I'll throw it on in August because it'll remind me of that time, being 12, 13 years old. Or I'll throw it on in October because every horror movie ever is valid and seems like it's perfect to watch in October. And it's just, I mean, because it's the seasonal thing, you know. Halloween, horror, October, it all goes together. And... To even get one film, let alone several, that you'll throw on at a certain point in time that one person's made, I mean, that kind of says it all. You know, these are modern day great American stories. And, you know, and and his later dead films, I think, say so much about the time period we are in now. So much from Land of the Dead all the way to Survival. 2005 was Land of the Dead. 2007 was Diary of the Dead. And 2009 was Survival of the Dead. And each one of them said so much politically. 2005, Dennis Hopper's character. Tell me that isn't like a a take on George W. Bush. Like... You know, whether, you know, you agree, disagree, like, or dislike George Bush, you know, you can't tell me that that wasn't, like, a take on that. And, like, what, you know, the world's at war. 
Okay. Well, in Land of the Dead, the world's at war too. Who do you really have to fear? The dead that walk the earth? Or the people that are still alive? I mean, kind try to tell me that that the Walking Dead didn't suck that idea straight out of all of his films, but that film in particular. And you know, and uh and Day of the Dead, the same thing. Like, you know, we're fighting each other. Living is more dangerous than the dead. You know, and that was such a such an interesting interesting film and a theatrical release as well. And I know it didn't get a lot of uh a lot of love at the time. And I haven't watched it in a little while, so I might have to revisit that one relatively soon. I haven't watched that in a few years. Um but if we're gonna move to Diary of the Dead, I'll tell you right now, any of my friends who know my stance on this film, they they know. They know that I love it. This film I think is underrated. I think it his is his most underrated work. I think it his is his best work post the eighties. Um it's it was ahead of its time. It was ahead of its time. It had, you know, a focus on social media. The world's crumbling, the world's going to shit, people are dying left and right. Little kids are, are being murdered, you know, mothers and women, uh children, you know, everyone is just dying through this zombie epidemic. The world is falling apart and we have a desire to film it, to film it, to keep it posted on social media, to, if that doesn't say anything about what, what it still says today, you know, people being attacked, people, you know, whether it be, you know, anything, an authority figure hurting someone, we want to get it on film, not even for the sake of helping the person, because I'm a firm believer in on if someone's getting hit or beaten or anything like that, put your fucking camera down and fucking help them, be a man, stand for fucking something, like don't film it, like you're not doing anything by filming anything, Put your camera down and help the fucking cause. And the the urge to just, you know, we got to get this filmed. We got to show people. Um, I mean, granted, you know, getting getting beaten up or robbed or mugged or, or you know, even kids. Like film people, kids get other kids getting bullied just so they can post it online. Which is the dumbest thing you, they could possibly do, but that's the youth of today. Um, you know, it's. I mean, obviously, all that's different than a zombie outbreak. Uh, I don't know if I'd have my phone out filming zombies attacking people and things like that, or just filming zombies. I might. I might. I'm not in the situation, but that was like the society's need to want to document everything. Um, and that was ahead of its time. I mean, that movie was made in 2006, came out in 2007, I think. And then I don't think it got like fully released on video. I think maybe until 2008, I can't really remember. Maybe it was 2007, maybe it was 2008. I don't know. Um, but talk about a film that was ahead of its time completely. I mean, and then survival. Survival, I think, right now says the most about our society. The divide. Even in that movie. The divide of the two families. It, the, and it, the ending scene, that might be his most poetic scene in any film that he's ever done. You know... You have these two figures from these two different families who loathe each other. They hate each other, and they don't even really know why. And it is such a poetic and thought-provoking scene, 
when the moon is out and they are standing a distance from each other, looking at each other, and they're still at odds with each other, even in death. Even in death, they're at odds. And it's like, why? Because we have the inability to agree to disagree. We can't, even as a society today, we can't agree to disagree. It's you either believe my beliefs or you're my enemy and you're my enemy until you're destroyed. And that goes for both sides. And that's like saying, I want friends that have all the same ideas as me, like all the same things as me. And if they disagree with any of my ideologies, you're my enemy and you must be destroyed. And that's exactly what it says. And it's, it just blows my mind how relevant that is to this day and age. And it's just so, and I'm sure he could have never predicted the, the state of society we'd be in today. Um, but you got to think that he was like, man, if that doesn't say something, I don't know, you know, you know the Muldoons versus the O'Flynn's, you know, uh, left versus right. You know, and the vast majority of us are in the middle. And and whether you're in the middle and you lean a little bit towards the left or you lean a little bit towards the right, the fact that we have the inability to understand and compromise kills me. I mean, obviously, the people that are so far left that they, they have rallies and fucking all that stupid bullshit and then you have the left who are like attacking people and things like that i mean i mean i think overall everyone wants to do good everyone wants to be good but then it's the age-old adage you know a few bad apple apples spoil it for everyone on both sides and i'm just so sick of the divide that we see and to think that, you know, this whole conversation that that's happened, this little bit that's happened is all from a George film. He has us thinking and discussing things on this level, this deep, and he's gone. George Romero is gone right now, and he has us talking about, you know, relevant issues, and he's no longer with us. And a film that he did in, that came out in 2009 is relevant and showing relevancy to our lives and making us think about the current state of the world and thinking about more than just us sitting in a room watching his movie. I mean, I can't, I don't think there's any better testament to who he is, uh, what he created, and I think what he wanted. Um, and, you know, a sense of community. Not even just within the horror realm or going to horror conventions and hanging out with your friends who like horror movies or any kind of genre film or anything like that. It's, I think he's, he's profoundly changed a lot more than any other horror director out there for the good in a bigger way than just, you know, in a bigger way than just cinematically. And it's so much... It, it makes me excited to just watch one of his films again because it's just then you you're you're more conscious of the impact that these films really do have and it's a shame that the horror the horror realm the horror genre is still considered you know the redheaded stepchild of film and uh you know i i it's it's a shame and you know i i, I wit i it's funny that it led to uh, political talk in here, but I think I didn't want to talk about politics at all, and I refuse to. And this is the most political I'd ever get was you know talking about the current state of affairs as relation to survival of the dead. So that's as much as you're going to get out of me, and it's always going to relate to a horror film. Uh, but it's it's really interesting how how these films really do change people.
for the better. For the better. They make you think on this kind of level. Um, that's and, and at the same time, they're so much fun. And they're an escape. And that's what nostalgia is. It's an escape going back to when you were a little kid. And you first discovered Night of the Living Dead. You first discovered Day of the Dead. You first discovered Dawn of the Dead. You first discovered Creepshow. And, you know, you're sitting there. And it's late at night. And everyone's in bed. And you're watching a horror movie. And it's your escape. And it's so much fun. And, I mean, that's the main reason I wanted to start this podcast was to kind of talk about those things because it's so much fun just talking about, you know, going, I remember watching Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead. Like, that's so much fun to just talk about and reminisce. And I know they say, remember when is the, you know, the lowest form of conversation or whatever. Um, but I don't think this is the that's the case in this instance. I think this is remembering and being conscious of, what the impact that one director has had on the lives of many. I'm not the only one that thinks this way. I'm not the only one that's that has these thoughts that has thought about his films in this deeper context. And this episode got way deeper than I intended it to, but I think that's a good thing. And I think it, you know, the first episode, hopefully this is episode's gonna grab the people that are listening and I, I hope it spreads and I hope people keep coming back and wanting to hear and listen and talk about uh, films and music and directors and companies and everything that you know we're gonna discuss on this podcast uh but yeah it's very it's very cool to have so many people too when you go to these horror conventions that are all there for the same cause now you got your the people that are there and they're just kind of you know you can tell they're not really really into the horror scene or whatever and they're just kind of there because they came along or there's like you know a couple you know tv show guests there that they really want to see uh but for the most part it's a total community and i think if there's anything that if there's any word if there's any term that describes you know george romero it's uh the creation of community the amount of they have a living dead fest you know to celebrate you know the locations of George's dead films in Pittsburgh and Evan City. So I don't think uh I don't think there's a better way to kind of uh remember him than keeping those things going, you know? And uh it was just so nice to see him at these conventions and just, you know, even when I first met him, you know, his you know, he had his, his signature was crisp. It was stay scared George Romero and it looked so great. And, you know, even when he was getting older and, you know, his signature didn't look the greatest, the guy sat there for hours and was just signing things and meeting people and shaking hands and talking and kept going. I mean, he did go out for about 450 cigarette breaks, (laughs) but that was George, you know, and it's so... I have nothing but, like, such a great memory. And I only met the guy twice. I didn't hang out with him. I didn't interview him or anything crazy. But just seeing him there and just seeing him just smile whenever he saw a fan. Never, I don't think I ever saw the guy with a real, like, regular look on his face. He always had, like, kind of a half smirk. And when he didn't have a half smirk, he was just, like, full-on grin, showing his teeth and just just having a gas just the guy was just so much fun to just watch i remember after a couple years this is a couple years ago just walking into one of the rooms that he was in signing and seeing his huge spread with all this stuff and his handler was there and you know tom atkins was over there and him and tom atkins are like close by and they're like making jokes to each other and they're going it and it was just so much fun to just just be a fly on the wall just walking through the room and just seeing them laugh and joke and i mean it's and that is really the the theme of these horror conventions like i said if you haven't been to one please please go uh because they're so much fun especially if you're a horror fan and you haven't been i remember when i found out about these conventions and i was just like oh my god these things have been right under my nose and i haven't been haven't been to one of these conventions are you kidding me and i remember going down there with you know two friends and just driving down there getting a hotel and it was in cincinnati and we stayed there the whole time 
And it was just, I think it was a wake-up call for all of us, and it started a trend that's lasted uh, almost 10 years. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you if there is any better, there's no better place to kind of really dig your claws in if you want to really get m- even more involved in the horror realm than going to a convention, because they have them all over the place, they're a hot commodity now, they're very, 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 very easy to find and go to, uh, prices have gotten a little more expensive since uh, 2008 or nine, but uh, they're worth it, they're definitely worth it, just to spend the time with your friends, for sure, and we actually did just get a question uh, from our email and okay i'm gonna read this one they don't have a name and they have a weird email so i'll say anonymous i guess this is gonna be considered anonymous uh what are your three favorite george romero films okay so my three favorite george romero films are Night of the Living Dead. This is in no order because don't make me pick an order. I don't want to do that. My three favorite George Romero films are Night of the Living Dead, Creepshow, and Day of the Dead. And, uh, I mean, we kind of already discussed those, so I don't really need to go into why they are my favorite. Um... Sorry, give me one second. Just kidding. I don't need a second. This is a, we're recording this, and I, I forget that I can't just be like, yeah, give me one second. Let me let me just do something on my phone. Can't really do that. I got to keep everyone engaged and listening fully. And I hope this is, hasn't been too boring. It's the first episode, so bear with me. If it's boring, don't worry. Just give me some critique. Give me you know, give me some critiques and some some notes I can take to make it a little more fulfilling for everyone. Ah, Drinking a nice, tall cup of coffee right now, and it feels great. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, with George Romero, man, he, you know, he lived a full life. The guy lived till his late 70s. I know he was a heavy smoker, um, and I remember hearing it, and I, I guess I'll kind of discuss that a little bit, is hearing the news that George passed, and, you know, we have an ever-running, a non-stop group text, and I remember that went off, and it just, you know, we had heard about his health issues, and then we got, you know, it said, you know, someone said, no, George, and I remember just kind of sitting there for a second, and I was like, shit, that fucking sucks, fuck, and, you know, you know, you don't know these people personally, but they hold such a high regard and they have such a high impact on your life, as I've just discussed how much George Romero and his films mean to me, you know, you start thinking like, geez, I'm never going to see that guy at a convention again, I'm never going to see him smile, I'll never be able to have another conversation with him, I'll never be able to, you know, pay him 30 or 40 bucks to sign a poster and be like, hey, how did you do this? Or something like that. And just have them smile and have like a nice answer. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're grateful that I'm grateful. I did get an opportunity to meet him and I didn't really have anything crazy to say to him. And I usually don't whenever I pay to meet people, it's become so like infrequent now for me to dish out money and pay people to meet him just because I've met the people that I wanted to meet. And then, you know, you start sort of get disenchanted when, you know, you see these horror stories. Luckily, I don't have a bad story to report about meeting any of uh, anyone. Um, and now I mainly go for vendors like uh, and just peruse the vendor tables and find cool shit. Very rarely do I get any kind of autograph anymore because, uh, like I said, I've, I've met who I've wanted to meet and get signed just for my own stupid like oh, I gotta have this poster signed to hang up because it's gonna be sick um but I've also had friends and seen people have terrible encounters with people and that like I said George was never like that he was always super engaging smiling gave you a big handshake just seemed like 
seemed like your your goofy uncle that was just like, ah, I'm stoked you're here. Like he was just like always that in that way and in that mood. And there's some, you know, so I'll use the term celebrities, uh, quote unquote. They won't even look up at you. They'll sign your name. Yep, thanks. Later. And they'll barely give you a handshake and they don't care. And luckily I've never encountered that. And hopefully I never do because I I probably wouldn't hold back and I'd unleash on them. And hopefully they got a really shitty film in their repertoire that I could throw in their face and make them think about it at 2 o'clock in the morning when they're sitting in their Hilton and they're just like, fuck, he's right. That does suck. I was terrible in that. Why did I do that? So don't fucking, don't fucking try me, motherfucker, because I will fucking lay down the law and make you think late at night when your fucking alarm clock goes off at four o'clock in the morning because you got to go get ready to make fucking $30 a person and you got a big line. You're going to think, fuck, I am, I was nothing, I'm a nothing happening piece of shit. Sorry, I went on a little tangent there. Some of these guys irritate me. Like I said, I haven't had a bad encounter. I haven't. But I've seen people have bad encounters. And it's awkward. And most of the time it's due to the person being like super awkward and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, listen, if someone's, I don't care how much money you have, if you don't have money, or what your, what your end game is. If someone's giving you $30 for you to sign your fucking name, you can look up at them and just pretend you're interested in them for 10 seconds. Um... But like I said, George Romero was never like that. And I, like I said, I've never had an encounter like that. Thankful. Thankful. But, uh, yeah, he, his films outside of the Dead Universe, I think you'll see them get a little bit more love now that he's gone. I think that there's going to be some fans that will focus a little bit more on those films and hopefully, you know, push for, you know, some more... Uh, extended releases with more special features on those films um because things like martin and knight riders and monkey shines isn't huge like uh oh yeah speaking of monkey shines i gotta talk about this so monkey shines bombed in the box office it bombed of like epic proportions was just like a shit show deluxe and so because that bombed initially George Romero was supposed to direct Pet Cemetery but because Monkey Shines bombed they the studio which is Paramount 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 didn't want to hire George Romero because he just did a film that bombed so in turn they hired Mary Lambert now, Pet Cemetery is my favorite Stephen King book. It is my favorite Stephen King film ab- adaptation. But it would have been so interesting to see what George Romero's take would have been on it. Um, and another funny thing is uh, The Lost Boys is one, another one of my favorite, 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 favorite films. And Mary Lambert was going to direct The Lost Boys. And then she didn't uh, for whatever reason. And Joel Schumacher did. But I thought that was funny that two of my favorite films, uh, two of my favorite directors uh, could have directed, you know, swippity-swappity on them. Uh, and that would have been interesting. But I think everything turned out well. And I think George had such a an amazing career. And I really do think that through all his struggles and hardships and trying times of in the filmmaking industry trying to get films made not being able to get budgets you know and he was trying to make um was a legacy of the dead or something like that he had another dead film plan that he just said it's just not gonna happen because no one wants to film it no one wants to fund it um and you know and to say if it was related to the walking dead or not who knows um, whether it being a success and hurt George's chances of making another dead film or helped him. Um, I think he really did enjoy the twilight of his career the last 10 or so years, you know, making uh, a film 
like survival. I you know because he really wanted to do a western, and he ended up doing doing a what it it reads as a western, and it it reads. It just seems like something he always wanted to do, and I'm glad he got to do it. And I think his the twilight of his career was really great. I think he got so much love from so many fans to tell him, you know, what his films meant to them and what his impact was. And there's no way that guy went out not feeling loved. Not even, you know, obviously his family and his, his close friends and all and all those people obviously loved him. Um, but to think that you beyond that, beyond our friends and family, that you have another family in, in, in terms of a horror community, in terms of a film community, who love and adore you and appreciate everything you've done and have this deep connection with you, um, that can't be understated. And there's no way that that guy went out not feeling loved and appreciated by the people who aren't, you know, obligated to love and appreciate you. And man, what a what a life, what a career he had. Uh it's it's sad that he's gone. I would have loved the guy to live to a hundred. But sometimes that's not in the cards. And uh I mean smoking as heavy as he did, it's probably probably pretty shocking that he uh made it as long as he did but i'm glad he did i'm glad i got a chance to meet the guy and like i said um if you could go go and watch some interviews on the special features of his films and just get a sense of how funny the guy actually was he really 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 cracks me up just his whole his whole demeanor about everything. He didn't take anything too serious and he just seemed very fun loving and he, you know, he took the piss out of himself and, you know, life, I think. I think he never as serious as some of those films can get and as bleak as some of those films could get, especially like Diary of the Dead, um, seems pretty bleak. Um and its ending. Uh, I think he just, um, I think he really did. He got life. He understood it. And I think, uh, I think I'm going to end this with, uh, a little clip of George talking just because I, I think it's important to listen to people who've passed on a to really remember what they've said and what they've done. And he always had such a, a funny, funny take on everything. And like I said, he didn't take himself too serious. So I think what we're going to do is end with a little interview with George, uh, just a little piece of it. Um, so here it is. And hey, thanks for tuning in. And hopefully... Hopefully the next time we can get someone to call in, one of uh, one of the friends, one of the cohorts, one of the cronies to call in, and uh, we'll make this uh, even more interesting. But I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, rest in peace, George Romero. Thank you for everything. Uh, and hopefully we'll see you next time on Heart Guide Media Podcast. I used to have a van that had a TV in the back seat for the kids. And uh, they put on... Day of the Dead, and so uh, in the front seat, uh, I'm driving and I'm listening to it, and I, th- you know what, it works as a radio show. I mean, it completely works as a radio show, and, uh, and I was cracking up, and particularly at Joe. I mean, some of those lines when when I, I, maybe it softens it a little when you're not looking at him, <laughs> when, but uh, I just thought it, I thought it was terrific. I, uh, uh, I still think it's I think still think it was the way to go.